Welcome to the Social Business Hangout, featuring Robert Levine, your social business mentor. The Social Business Hangout podcast series is available on iTunes. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience. Welcome, everybody. This is the Social Business Hangout, and with me today is... Sid Bolton. And I'm Robert Levine, your social business mentor. Now, Sid, you've been on this podcast. This is your fourth appearance. We've talked about everything from the PC Museum to your spectacular uh, collection of video games. And we've even had you on with Santa Claus. But today we're going to be talking about another one of your passions, another one of your collections, your Star Wars slash Star Trek collection. And we're in your Star Wars room. Yes, we are. Tell me a bit about how this collection started, because as we kind of talked about earlier, you were kind of a late starter on this one. This one almost fell into your lap, as it were. Well, you know, I actually, uh, if you hear the tick tick, that's just my puppy saying hello. Yeah. Um, Hi, Calico. The the thing with Star Wars is that I'd always been a fan, you know, since I was a kid, and I had a bunch of the toys. When I was a child, uh, Star Wars, I would have been, uh, you know, and it wasn't even the original Star Wars. I was six years old when the original Star Wars came out, and... I did see it in the theater with my parents and everything, but it really was when The Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980 that I really got into the films and I thought it was fantastic. I actually watched the film 13 times uh, when I was a kid. Most of those times were on my own. I had a different, different time in the world. I actually got on the bus by myself, went downtown, bought a movie ticket, went and watched the films, and then I started buying the action figures. And I'd gotten to the point where I had actually filled up two of the action figure buckets Mm -hmm. with them. So I think I had something like uh, 48 action figures altogether. And I had a couple of toys, uh, a couple of ships. And that was really about it. I actually couldn't afford to get a lot of the the ships. I actually wanted my own Millennium Falcon, couldn't afford it. So I actually built my own. Uh, And for anyone listening that uh, wants to build their own ship, here's what you do. You take uh, one of those cardboard boxes from like a case of pop. That becomes the base of your ship. Uh, Get some egg cartons, cut those out. The action figures will actually fit in those as chairs. You shape them up, glue them onto uh, the cardboard of the the pop can case. And uh, I would put things like control panels. I would paint uh, controls on those panels. I would do all kinds of other things. I got really fancy stuff later on. Um, I made uh, special rooms for, you know, the crew. I had uh, a pool table. I even had a recreation of the classic 3D chess uh, set from the uh, from the uh, first film. So I had lots of that stuff. But anyways, I had all that stuff as a kid. And of course, as I became a teenager, I sort of grew out of it a little bit. And I just put it away. I just stuffed it into a storage area in the basement. And it wasn't until 1997 when the film started to come back that I got interested in sort of going and seeing if I could find my Star Wars stuff. And so what I did was I pulled all that stuff out set it up uh, in my bedroom. I was still living at home at this point in time. And uh, so I set it up in there and then I I realized to myself that I might not be able to get a date ever again if I brought a girl into that room with all that Star Wars stuff. But uh, I got through that. I muddled through it, uh, knocked a few uh, TIE fighters off the wall. But anyway, that's another story altogether and certainly not suitable for uh, work or family (laughs) or any of those kind of podcasts. But uh, it just happened to be that once I had actually set that stuff up, And after I listened to my mother tell me, aren't you so glad I didn't throw those toys out? I can still hear it in my head. Uh, At that point, people just started saying, oh, you like Star Wars. And the next thing I know, they'd buy me something for my birthday or for Christmas or whatever. And eventually the collection started to grow. And it got to the point where I actually had to start putting stuff away. 
fast forward to the home I'm in now. And uh, I actually decided, you know, I've got all this stuff. A lot of it's been put in storage. And uh, why not showcase it? Why not put it out? So originally, it's not in the room that it is today. I built a, a room that had uh, all of the Star Wars stuff that I had in it. And it also, uh, actually, I don't think I had the Star Trek stuff out at that point. I think it was all still sitting in a box. And then uh, when we built the computer museum and did all that, I'd actually use the room that it's in now was sort of a a holding tank for the computer museum in the beginning while we were building the back and uh, the room was unfinished. And then eventually I finished the room, um, sort of made it uh, with slat wall and everything. So it's kind of like a store in here. When you, when you look around, you'll see all the typical things that you'd find at a retail location. And I found that was the best way to get the most stuff on the wall. And, uh, cause you know, if you've got all this stuff, it's a shame if you can't at least have it out. So mm-hmm. I just started filling the room, but again, it's one of those things where once I had the stuff out and people saw it, people start dropping stuff off. You know, I really have found, I'm so grateful that people have been so nice about, uh, wanting to help, you know, they see something, they might have one or two pieces that they've held on to, And then when they see how much I have, they're like, Hey, do you have this or, you know, can I contribute this to your collection or whatever? So there's quite a few things in here that have actually been donated by people. So the entire aspect of crowdsourcing in this particular case comes into play to your point. It does. Yeah. You you got to that point where there was that typical tipping point where all of a sudden the awareness factor became the inbound aspect uh, to the collection. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I would say 90 some odd percent was, you know, stuff that I had, I'd have either obtained prior or that uh, I purchased myself, but, uh, yeah. And there was also a time, you know, when the films were coming back, when episode one was, was sort of emerging on the scene where I got reinterested in my collection. I remember driving around to the Taco Bell and the uh, KFC and, and the other stores that had uh, pizza hut that had, uh, you know, collectible items cause they had different ones at each store. So I remember, you know, because I had to have them all, right? Uh, I remember the pop cans that they had where they had, you know, different faces and characters on the cans. And, of course, you'd have to keep buying pop. So, I mean, I think I still have some of that pop, Robert. That's how much mm-hmm. pop I had to buy to get the entire collection. But, by golly, mm-hmm. I did it. I got them all. And uh, same thing happened with the uh, the stuff from uh, KFC and Taco Bell. I'd actually go into the restaurants. I'm not buying any food. I'd just say, hey, can, you know, do you have this item, this item, and this item, but you had to keep coming back because they released them, you know, over time, right? Which was brilliant marketing. I mean, say what you want about George Lucas, but absolutely brilliant when it comes to marketing. And uh, so, uh, yeah, and I got hooked on doing that. And, uh, you know, I got to a point, I'm at the point now where I don't really invest anything into the collection anymore, primarily because I just don't have the room. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as you know, being in this room right now, the sound is very deadened because there's really nowhere for the sound to bounce. Like there is stuff everywhere in this well, room. Well, you got shelves coming off the ceilings, so, shelves coming yeah. everywhere. There's shelves coming off the shelves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And stuff coming out of those. Um, well, we were joking earlier, Ed, when the lights go off, you know, it's almost as if, uh, you know, other toys and merchandise spawn from uh, from the spawn of the spawns. Could you the imagine way. the Toy Story version <laughs> that would happen where the toys come to life in here? Or, you know, Night, exactly. at, the, night at the Museum. Night uh, at the I Museum, mean, exactly. That actually could be even more applicable. Now, there's one thing that you brought up there, and, and I'm going to get to it a bit later, but when it comes to the merchandising, that's the one thing I think Star Wars has done far more than Star Trek. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Star Trek, especially initially, uh, merchandising wasn't on anybody's mind, first of all. And uh, even later on, when it came to the next generation, where Star Trek really began to appeal to a mass audience, 
Um, the merchandising, there was some there. There were uh, action figures, or as uh, some people I, I know like to call it, dolls. And, and boys don't always play with dolls, but sometimes they do. Um, but the action figures were uh, just... They were there, but they weren't done in the same way as it, as things were done in the Star Wars universe. Uh, there wasn't, I don't think, as much of a controlling entity in terms of licensing. I know that I've, I've actually worked uh, with Lucas, uh, the company, not, not himself, but uh, with people from his company on licensing a long, long time ago. I actually pitched a video game to uh, Lucasfilm uh, a long, long time ago. And so I got to see sort of what their mentality was and how they worked and how vigilant they were about things. And it was just, it's just a far different uh, way. Like they almost treat the the licensing as more important than the films themselves in a lot of ways, because, you know, a film is, is really just a snapshot in time and you make money for a certain amount of time off that, but ongoing, obviously the, uh, the real money is in the merchandise. And that, to your point, and today, uh, you know, and we didn't plan this. It just turned out it was literally 40 years to the day that George Lucas started writing Star Wars. And a lot of people obviously will remember him for, you know, d- directing and the writing and whatnot. But I think when we look at this room, the one thing that he did that no other film producer had ever done up till that point to that extent was, I want to have the merchandising rights. And yep. he just ran with that. And, yep. you know, yes, Star Wars made money, i.e. the movies, but it pales in comparison to what George Lucas made on, on the merchandising, on the gaming, on everything that spawned mm-hmm. off of that one little piece that in the contract he did not have, uh, that he retained the rights for. Right. And at the time, you, know, you have to remember, it was a, a very different time back in the mid-70s where there was no such thing as a blockbuster. I mean, it wasn't until uh, Star Wars and Jaws came out that the idea of a blockbuster film even existed. Uh, So it's much different than it is today. And, you know, also, I mean, to address a point that comes up a lot with me, people always say, you know, uh, what do you think of the newer movies versus the older movies? And to sort of get that out of the way, I'm just going to say the one thing about the original films that makes it very different. And one of the reasons why guys like me love the merchandising stuff is that merchandising works so well because there were three years between each of the films, which is not uncommon in today's, you know, sort of transition between different uh, sequels, unless they, you know, like with the the Lord of the Rings, they shot a lot of the stuff all at once. So they Mm -hmm. can bring them out a little quicker. Same with Harry Potter, but for traditional movies, you know, three years in between films is, uh, really kind of typical. Okay, so that happened in the with the original Star Wars and Empire and, and Jedi. The difference is, is that in between those three years, there was literally no access to programming about that stuff in between. So your only trip back to the universe was in your own mind and through merchandising. And, and that really made a big difference because it's not like you had YouTube back then. It's not like you could just go to your television and watch more content. You were starving for that content. And I think that did two things. One, it made the merchandising more successful uh, than people ever realized it would be. And two, it built a bond between the, you know, all of us, the viewers, the audience and the film that just would not exist when we were older because, you know, when episode one came out, I was, I was an adult at that point. And, you know, with a life and with a job and with, you know, other things to be concerned about. And so I wasn't spending as much time in that universe. You know, uh, it wasn't as important to me, but when you're a kid, 
and you watch this stuff, I used to spend a lot of time, you know, when my mom would say, you know, go play outside. I'd go outside with my action figures and I'd be tying them up to the tree and I'd be tying them to the neighbor's fence, hoping they wouldn't come out and yell at me and, you know, recreating the world. And Luke was going from here to here and I was pretending there was snow outside and I was recreating those worlds and I was putting them in all kinds of new adventures and I was building my ships out of cardboard boxes and I was doing all this stuff. I was spending all this time in the universe. Whereas today, when you watch a film, you're there for two, two and a half hours, you walk out and it's done. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is actually a perfect segue because also today Disney, who now owns, you know, obviously the rights from Lucas, announced that they're going to be doing a Star Wars movie every year. So every subsequent year is going to be like, uh, it's going to be a major film, a focus on an individual, a major film focus on the individual, and they're going to do that for the foreseeable future. That kind of goes totally against what we just talked about. Well, what it will do is it it will feed... um your say your drive for the content as as a weekly television show does you know you go and and you you go back and you want to watch next week's episode it'll work for that um i think it will it will mean that other forms of the entertainment will suffer uh because again when the when the movies haven't been around so even the episode you know one two and three what have we had to sort of quench that thirst for the franchise well there's been yeah, there's been a television series that there's been, you know, there's comic books, there's video games, there's all these other things, there's merchandising still. So I think by bringing out these films at a more frequent pace, um, I think that's really going to hurt some of the other, you know, sort of industries that are surrounding the franchises. That's my personal opinion. I know for me, if I'm not really, if I'm, if I'm satisfied with what I'm getting from the main core franchise, then I'm not going to look for the uh, quote-unquote hit that I would get from uh, the franchise by, you know, going to those other mediums. So I think it will, you know, have a negative effect that way. And I don't, I I could be wrong. I mean, there could be some people that will just get them more interested. But I think, uh, I know for me, I know what happened when I got too much of something that I was really, really interested in. And that was Star Trek. I love The Next Generation. I love Deep Space Nine. I call it Deep Potato, but that's (laughs) just another story altogether. Uh, and then when Voyager came out, I was like, okay, it's another Star Trek. Cause now, you know, next generation, eventually, you know, it fell off. So there was, there was two things running, you know, simultaneously, but I have to tell you by the time Voyager got to the end, I was disinterested. And so not even before Enterprise kicked into game. Well, that's the thing. I didn't even watch the ending of Voyager when it aired. I watched it about six months later and I never watched Enterprise at mm. all at the beginning. When it came out on DVD, I purchased it and I was like, okay, I think, and this was years, okay, mm. this was years afterwards. I was like, I'm ready. And you know what? I loved it. Mm. And by the time I got to the end of the fourth season, I was ticked off that it was over, <laughs> you know? But I needed that time. Yeah. I had too much. There was too much. And I think that's kind of the point. When I look at, you know, one of the questions in the pre-show was, you know, why, you know, the interest or whatnot. But before we get into that, one of the things that I like about the entire Star Trek, Star Wars angle is kind of you alluded to. One was very much based in the movie universe. And the other one was very much based in the TV universe with movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's almost a a, a comparative analysis of how do you you know, tell, not a similar story, but a, you know, a similar genre, but using completely different mediums as your primary source of content. And to your point, 
with the exception of, you know, the original launch of Star Trek and then, you know, 20 odd years of nothing, when it came back with the next generation, there was literally a decade and a half, give or take, a good 15 years of just weekly Star Trek content, let alone the fact that the original Star Trek series was in heavy syndication for, for you know, decades as well. You were bombarded. There was a period of time where you could not turn off, turn on the TV and not get Star Trek on a Saturday morning. Yeah. That's you know? true. And that was not the case for, for Star Wars. Star Wars was very much the, I'm going to a cinema to immerse myself into that and then retreat, as you say, for those three years into the merchandise. And that's why the merchandise was, was such a big draw. Yeah. And the thing is, with a, when you're focused on the films, it's going to be about uh, sort of the, the special effects. I mean, whether you, you, you know, you can, filmmakers, you know, yeah, you can all tell us artistically that oh the special effects are just a way to move the story forward what the heck ever the special effects are what blow people they're the eye candy way they blow people away they it really does help them get into that world and of course star wars nobody did it better right i mean they just i mean in empire you know when those snow walkers were coming out those things like you were just like <gasps> Those things are huge, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the scale of it, the realism of it. It was, that's the thing. It was so real. It looked so real that you didn't think it was fake. Like you just didn't. And so by investing all the time and the money and the energy into that kind of stuff, you get invested in that. And you, and so you get invested in, um, the, the machines and the characters and the creatures and all that kind of stuff. And that's why the merchandising works so well. In a weekly television series like Star Trek, it's not that you don't... You get invested in the characters, okay? But you don't really... And, you know, and maybe if you consider, you know, the Enterprise a character, oh, you get invested in that. Uh, but beyond that, you know, you're not going to, you know, be thinking about so much about the different aliens that you meet every episode. Because what's really the draw there are the stories, mm -hmm. right? The individual stories and the places that we can go. So once we've invested our time and our effort and we've got to like the characters, where can we take them in the universe and what stories can they do and how can their, you know, how can they develop so that sort of soap opera element sort of continues to go along where from week to week we build on things that have happened in the past and yet at the same time we've got something fresh and new and interesting and, uh, you know, and some weeks sucked. You know, we, we as TV viewers, we got used to that. But then there were some weeks that were just absolutely fantastic. And so it's a whole different thing for a whole different kind of person. For me, uh, when people walk in this room and they see Star Wars and they look over and they see Star Trek, um, and I kind of have got it set up so that if you close the door and you stand back where we are right now for recording and you put your blinders on and you look just in that one direction, it's a Star Trek room, right? If you just forget everything else, it's a Star Trek room. Otherwise, it's a Star Wars room. But my thing is, is that uh, I always say that, you know, space is huge. Why can't we all get along? Mm -hmm. uh, I have found that most people that walk in here are one or the other. Mm -hmm. They either love Star Wars and don't really care for Star Trek or they love Star Trek and don't really care for uh, for Star Wars. Um, or you get some people, you know, like some of our audience members who have really never seen either one and um, are kind of mind boggled right now. And, you know, and it, it, it's, it's one probably of wondering what they're doing in this room. Right exactly. Now. But I, hopefully at the end of this conversation, uh, they'll have a better appreciation of it, which is a perfect segue to actually the question that, that she posed at the beginning, you know, why would people get into this? And I'm not necessarily talking about the merchandise, and this kind of leads into a bit of the Comic-Con and, and the, 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 the people dressing up and all of those uh, big uh, con conventions around these things. It is 
such a huge thing for some people and completely off the radar for someone else. So I kind of use something you brought up. Empire Strikes Back, major, major movie. Ratha Khan, major, major movie. It's almost like mm -hmm. sometimes the second movie in, in both of those franchises Did really defined. Yep. It was that home run. Exactly. You know, Star Trek The Motion Picture was basically just one big, long special effects. Snorefest. I totally, fell asleep it, through that movie. It was horrible <laughs> in that sense. But it, it really showcased the technology. And it, to a certain degree, even Star Wars, the original movie, was about showcasing what was possible in that era. And you looked at it. Like, that opening scene in yes. Star Wars was mind-blowing for so many things. So let's skip to a point where someone comes in at, at you know, the second movie. That That's their starting point, okay? Yeah. They watch it, whether or not it's the Star Trek uh, crossroads or the Star Wars crossroads or in the case of you and I we're, we're equally passionate about both well maybe not equally but we're passionate about both they watch it they get it or they don't walk me through what really drew people to it versus why they may not get it well I mean I kind of alluded to it earlier but for me certainly and I can really only speak from my own experience but when I walked out of you know The Empire Strikes Back, I mean, you got to remember, the original Star Wars, I had seen it, I was interested in it, but I wasn't in love with it. Empire, I was in love with it. First of all, you know, there's a cliffhanger at the ending. You're wondering what's going to happen. Uh, second of all, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, introducing a lot of characters at that point because we already kind of knew sort of the major players. So... You know, they didn't have to spend a lot of time. You it know, wasn't doing the character origin development. story. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of that, so it was like, let's get right into the nitty gritty here. And I think part of the thing with Empire, and the same thing really holds through for Wrath of Khan, is that they're kind of dark stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they've got this sort of really um, like some bad stuffs going on, uh, and then of course, you know, there's there's elements of redemption at the end, and 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 sort of a glimmer of hope and, and whatnot, and that that really helps because that keeps us interested. But for me. Uh, the thing is, is that when I walked out of the movie, it, it just it stayed in my head. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And again, as, as a kid, I mean, it was like, it was in my imagination. I was, you know, thinking about how things were happening. I wanted to go back to that universe. And as I mentioned, it was very difficult because, um, there wasn't a lot of stuff other than the merchandising to sort of keep you there. I remember buying, um, the, the school books, which I still have, uh, the picture book so I could go through and I re would remember. And I kind of have the type of memory where uh, I actually remember when it came out on television, didn't have a VCR because this was back in a time when VCRs were a lot of money and not everybody had them, but I did have a tape recorder. So I actually recorded the audio mm. of the films and I used to put those on while I was doing other things. I was getting into computers at this point in time as well. And while I was programming on my computer, I forget listening to music. For me, I would listen to my favorite movies in the background and I could picture the movie in my mind. And so that really, um, that really is what sort of kept me uh, interested in that. Now, as far as why people, you know, get into doing the, the, you know, the conventions and stuff like that, I think, uh, for a lot of these people, it's a similar thing. They want to, they feel invested in the universe. They're thinking about the universe and going to a convention, there's, there's two sort of aspects to it. One is you go to see the people that have brought you so much pleasure and joy in person. So you can say, you know, hey, there's, there's the chat, you know, he's there. Uh, or whoever it happens to be, or, you know, that character that you uh, fell in love with for whatever reason. So it brings you 
closer to the universe and it, it's real. Like it's not just on the screen anymore. It's real and it gives you something else to hang on to in your mind that's become important to you. People that dress up, I find, and do those things, which I'm not one of those people, but I do understand it. Part of it is because, again, they want to feel like they're part of the universe and they're back in there and it's bringing back the positive memories and thoughts that they had. When I was a kid, and I don't know about you, but I was all about the lightsaber battles with my buddies, right? So we would, you know, grab stuff. I used to have this, uh, the best thing, by the way, kids, if you're still listening, if you don't have the money to have a real lightsaber, is to get uh, a plastic oar for like a boat because that's what I used to use and if you can take the paddle end off man what is left is the best lightsaber you'll ever have and that's what I had I had an awesome lightsaber and I have to admit I actually tried to see if the whole force thing worked I used to like stare at things and try to make them move I spent a lot of time Robert I don't know about you uh, and then I tried to cheat myself. I would tie a string to my wrist <laughs> and tie a string the other end of the thing. And then I would like that. I'd be like, oh, it works. The force is real. Um, but I admit, I actually, I used to actually stare at stuff and try to see if it would move. Yeah. I gave up after a while though. <laughs> so something you brought up there with the entire being in, in, in the persona or whatnot, there's a certain degree of escapism. I think, oh, sure you know, is. and I think sure when, when I look at why, it, you know, whether or not it's the merchandising, whether or not it's the conventions, whether or not it's sitting through a two or a three hour movie, watching something on a marathon or whatnot, you are completely immersing yourself in that universe yep. and the rest of the world blends, it disappears. Yeah. You know, and I think, is that the core of what makes a Trekkie or a Star Wars fan, you know, so into it because they are, they have that natural need to escape from whatever reality they may be trying to escape from. Or is it just a side shift to, you know, not necessarily escapism in a negative way, but more of a, I want to just live a life that that's impossible to live otherwise. I think we all need, every human being needs escapism. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what it is. The, the difference is, is that people that are, into Star Wars or into Star Trek or into sci-fi in general, they find that those worlds, because of how they're built, how their brains are built, how their imagination works, that provides that escapism. Some people, you know, they might get escapism by, you know, being in sports or they might, you know, get escapism with any other numerous hobbies. Um, I think for a lot of people, the way their brain is wired and, you know, whether it's from an imagination standpoint or what it is, um, I think that's partly why uh, it works so well for them. And, I, and again, it's it's in different shades, right? That's why I said some people like the the cosplay where they dress up and become an actual character, and and some of them, you know, they they imagine that they are that person. They they maybe want to be that person, and that's that's how they get their escapisms. For others, uh, they put the DVD on, turn the lights off, and they're able to block out everything else in their brain. And for that time, they are there with those characters and they're invested in it. Yeah. Well, as I'm scanning around, I'm seeing the Trekkies uh, VHS tape over there. And, and there's some examples of people that have kind of taken it too far. Right. You know, and, and I think look, that's true for anything. Well, and I'm not even talking about your collection <laughs> uh, because this one pales actually compared to what you would consider your primary collections. But even Shatner at one point in time famously said, get a life. Yeah. You know, is there something to be said about the people that have kind of gone too far? And like I said, some people would walk into this room and go, oh my God, you've gone too far. I look at this and I'm going, hey, cool. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, obviously, like everything in life, you have to find a balance. I mean, for me, um, 
you know, I, I have to admit, I, I don't spend, like I said, I'm already not really investing anymore in this room in terms of buying new stuff. If something comes my way, sure, I'll take it. For me, what has become more important than the collection itself really is actually sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's part of the reason that I'm doing the video games and the computer stuff. It's because when people walk in here, they all have their own personal experiences, except for, you know, Karen, of course, but, uh, whatever, um, you know, whoever, like, doesn't matter. They just, there's nobody else that's ever been here that hasn't seen the movies, but that's fine. Um, but it, it's really, um, for me, it's a different thing because, uh, I like to, from the human perspective, I like to see people's reaction to things and I like to take people back in time. Mm. that's what I like to do. That's what I, I feel like I've, you know, sort of been put on this earth to do, whether it's computers or video games or Star Wars. So, but for some people, yeah, you can take it too far. And uh, I think that, uh, I don't think I have, like I said, maybe some people think I have, but for me, it'd be different if I was, you know, not paying my bills, but buying Star Wars mm. stuff. And there's some people that do that, you mm-hmm. know, they, they get to that point and that's, that's unfortunate. They do take things too far. And, uh, they need to, as the chat said, get a life. You know, I, I kind of said this in the pre-show. There's two famous basements in Brantford. There's Walter Gretzky's basement, which is basically, you know, all Wayne Gretzky uh, memorabilia. And he's the same type of person. Come on in, see it. You know, he'll open yeah. the door to anybody. Well, less so now, but back in the day, he'd open the door to anybody to come and see that basement. Yeah. You're very much the same way. It's 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 one thing to have a collection. It's another thing to showcase that collection. And to your point, when you walk into this room here, it's got that, that storefront look to it because it is the best way to display this material yeah. with the game nights that you have. You know, it's the same thing. Some people, you know, uh, you know, uh, we won't mention the person in this room. Their, their first and only game was Pong, you know. So some people get it, some people don't. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, the rest of the world doesn't see... Yeah, we're talking about you. She seems like a well-adjusted individual. You know, it's kind of funny. We got the two Karens sitting next to each other, and Karen's wearing her Star Wars shirt, and the other Karen, you know, probably has never seen episode one. So my point being, though, at the end of the day, there is no denying the fact that it has dramatically changed the lives, whether or not it's been Star Trek or Star Wars, dramatically changed the lives of millions of people. Absolutely. You know, I want to leave on one final point because the other thing that, that you know, is happening, obviously, is both uh, both franchises, for lack of a better term, are going through a reboot, right? So yep. Star Trek has already started their reboot with J.J. Abrams doing the first movie with brand new characters and brand new actors. Well, not new characters, brand new uh, actors. New with video game out this week as well. There you go. Did not know that. Uh, and then, oddly enough, J.J. Abrams has also been tasked to be the director of the next Star Wars movie, which is, uh, there's already potentially talk of some of the original characters coming back for yep. a cameo and whatnot. Your thoughts on the future of those franchises? I know we talked a bit about with Star Wars being, is it going to be just oversaturated in the movies? Maybe more on the Star Trek side. Well, I think one thing that both franchises have done for me has give me optimism and hope for the future. And so, therefore, I'm going to remain optimistic and have hope for the future. I'm okay because, you know, I think J.J. Abrams did a great job in uh, respecting the Star Trek universe. He kept what was there, there. He did his own thing in his own way without messing the previous stuff up or found a way around that. 
And um, I think that uh, he'll probably do the same thing with Star Wars. And for me, hey, I mean, you, this room is proof. I think both universes are great. I'm interested in both. I love both for different reasons. Uh, and I imagine that for him to take that on, he's probably the same way. Um, I I do know that uh, there were some strange things that happened with uh, with Star Wars, with Episode 1, 2, and 3 that I'm still not sure I'm over yet. But as I said, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we have to remember as people, you know, we're different, right? When the things that, you know, meant a lot to us uh, earlier in life are, are different now. And uh, we also have to remember that the same thing happens to the filmmakers. I mean, you know, George was you know, decades older when he made the other films. So you can't really expect him to make exactly the same films. And would you really want that anyway? I mean, uh, the whole thing about Star Trek and Star Wars is that they give us uh, a new place to go. And uh, the fact that they're going to be different and new and exciting, uh, you know what, at the end of the day, it can't be anything but good. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to be challenged as to whether or not you're going to fall into that trap of, because you're talking a crap load of merchandise coming your way, sir. I need to get another room, Robert. Yes. So on that note, reintroduce yourself. I'm Sid Bolton from the Personal Computer Museum and Canada's top video game collector. And I'm Robert Levine, your social business mentor. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Social Business Hangout. The Social Business Hangout podcast series is available on iTunes. My name is Robert Levine, and you can reach me at socialbusinessmentor.com. I'd like to thank my guest, Sid Bolton of the Vintage Personal Computer Museum in Brantford, Ontario. This podcast was recorded live in front of an audience on April 17th, 2013.